Welcome to the Elm Park Rolls podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, this time we are doing the season one, season year review. Blimey, it feels like the whole calendar's all changed around, doesn't it, completely? But the 2020 review, I've been joined by A.D. Williams. Hi, A.D., how you doing? Yeah, very well, Paul. Yeah, very well indeed. Hope you had a good Christmas. Not too bad yourself? Yeah, points on the board. That's what we're after. So I think we've all <laughs> had a good Christmas, Reading fans. It's been a cracking one in that way, definitely. And I've also been joined by Alex Everton. How are you doing, Alex? I'm not too bad, Paul. Looking forward to 2021 and obviously sticking 2020 in the rearview mirror. So, <laughs> yeah. It has it for off the field. We're going to try and stick to on the pitch and see all the action there. We're not going to talk too much about the dreaded COVID world and all that because that's, we've gone through all that many, many times. So let's roll right back until the 1st of January. Mark Bowen is in charge. We're sitting really mid-table at this point. But we are on the end of a four-match winning streak, which culminates in a 2-1 win at Fulham. So how are we feeling then in that period then, Andy? Kind of bit positive? Maybe we're going to prove the doubters wrong, Mark Bowen? I think we were positive. I think, you know, when Boeing got the job, I think the very first result was a win at the Medeski Stadium in the last minute, you know, so it gave everybody a lift. Something needed to happen. We've mentioned it many, many times. The club was in a little bit of decline. Boeing's come in and we're on a decent run. And to go to Craven Cottage any year, any, any season, any year, any division and get a result and get three points is a big win. And uh, I guess when you do that in the new year, you start thinking, well, hang on a minute, maybe this year could be our year. But, uh, you know, a lot's happened since highs and a lot of lows, I'm afraid, as well. Yeah, totally. Um, there was even a low in that match with Lucas Jow picking up his hamstring injury, which at the time we weren't kind of like thinking it was going to be as bad as it was. But Alex, that was a devastating blow for Reading FC and kind of more importantly, Mark Bowen, I feel. Yeah, you have to imagine if Lucas Zhao had been kept fit for the second half of the season as he has been for the first half of this season, that we'd have... Uh, potentially had a much better shot at finishing closer to the playoffs. I know in the end we actually finished a fair way off the playoffs, but um, you've got to imagine that we would have probably had a bit more of a shot had he been fit. Um, and, and for Bowen, it, it, you know, if we'd finished 10 points better off, maybe his job wouldn't have been quite a, as at risk in summer. Um, it's difficult to know, really, because obviously with uh, Bowen, leaving in summer it wasn't necessarily a case of him not doing his job and, and not performing to expectations but perhaps just that the club wanted to go in a different direction yeah totally I mean, a lot of people have put that down as their favorite moment of 2020 the win at fulham though it's a kind of a really upbeat one alex and uh, you were there uh, weren't you yeah i mean it was a fantastic game to be at uh the away end was was totally bouncing and uh, we were there with uh with with dave from from the podcast as well and He'd come over from uh, from the US for Christmas and he'd been to all four games and there was a lot of talk of him not going home and him staying in Reading until we lost. And uh, yeah, of course, he disappeared home and the next game was uh, the, the home game against Forest where we had those two very, very late goals, um, one against and one for. And kind of that was the, the end of that winning period. So yeah, I'm, I'm blaming Dave for the rest of Reading's results for 2020 <laughs> after him disappearing on after the after New Year's Day. But um, yeah, I can see why it's definitely so many people's favourite moment. It was brilliant away end to be in and, and to kind of there was so much positivity going on as well at the start of the year there around the club and um, following that kind of 
I guess honeymoon period for Mark Bowen. It was it was easy to see why as well. Reading were definitely kind of like felt like they were turning a corner um, and trying to put a lot of kind of bad feeling and, and poor results behind them, which we'd seen over the previous kind of two three years. Yeah, we also see in that kind of like January as well, we lose to Millwall and Bristol City. That kind of killed any faint hope of getting into the playoffs, which is always a long shot 80, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, consistency has been a problem for Reading. You know, on their day, if we talk about a fully fit side, 11, 16, 18, 19, whatever it is nowadays, you know, we can give anybody a game. But when you're as inconsistent as Reading have been over the last four, five, six seasons, I think we've been fighting relegation probably for five of the six. Obviously, Yapstan's first season in uh, charge was a different ball game. We got to the playoff final. But inconsistency, you know, you go and beat um, Fulham at Craven Cottage and like you say, you get beat by Millwall and you draw against Forest. And, you know, if you've got any aspirations, you've got to have a good home form. You've got to have good home form. The home form wasn't great, I don't think. And that you've got to pick points up away from home. And, uh, you know, I know I'm fast tracking to right now, but the home form is great at the moment. And we're certainly picking up points away from home, and that's what you need to do. And you can see that in the fact that we've already picked up as many wins this season as we had last season at home, and we're only at Christmas. You know, we've still got half a season to go, and we've already already matched seven wins. So um, there's that. You, you've got to like you can definitely see the improvement with that home form already. Yeah, totally. I mean, the last season, um, the home form was just abysmal, absolutely abysmal. But we move into February, which is a really mixed month. We got a 3-0 win at Sheffield Wednesday. George Puskas is getting some goals. But a low point for me, definitely the low point of 2020, was the 3-0 home defeat by Wigan. Um, So that was just a horrendous performance. But what's really interesting is Liam Moore had... Probably his worst game there in a red shirt. And at that point, I was thinking maybe in the summer he's going to move on, you need to change. These things happen in players' careers. But actually, it's been a masterstroke by Panovic, hasn't it, Eddie, by keeping him as captain. He's just transformed him this season. Yeah, I think uh, there was a big talking point, you know, a big discussion start this season. Would it be Morrison and McIntyre? Because McIntyre finished the season really well. Uh, and Moore was left out the side. So we thought, well, maybe, you know, just purely financially with the wages that Liam Moore's earning, possibly he'd be off somewhere else. And good luck to him if that was the case. But Palno are stuck by Moore, and Moore's form's been outstanding. I've got to put my hand up. You know, I think we all gave him a little bit of stick, and probably rightly so towards the end of last season. I think Liam is an honest fellow. I think he'll take that on the chin. But, you know, the way he bounced back and started the season wearing the armband, it was a masterstroke because I think many of us, Many of us would have given the armband to someone else, possibly, and maybe even left Liam on the bench to start the season. Pono didn't do that. He stuck with his captain. The form was incredible. The lads obviously went seven unbeaten, seven wins on the bounce, and the rest is history. So, uh, you know, credit to the manager, but credit to the player, because although you're an experienced championship defender, you know, like Liam is, and he's played hundreds and hundreds of games now, you've still got to do it. There is still pressure on you to start that season you know, in a different gear to the way you finished the previous one. We know that the turnaround was minimal, obviously, with COVID and, and everything else. So, you know, you've got to give him credit and it takes some doing. So it's a fair play to the skipper. Yeah, totally. It's transformed him, hasn't it? It's great to see. Now we've got those options. We'll come on to later in centre-half. We're actually building a really good, kind of solid bunch of defenders there, which we haven't had for quite a long time. 
Then moving into March, we've got our last game, then the dreaded COVID strikes. But we've got Birmingham City and Pele scoring the last goal before lockdown. Alex, you were at the game. We could never have predicted what was going to happen then, could we, after that match? Straight after, no. Um, I mean, that was uh, the, that Birmingham game was such a game of two halves as well. We were just dreadful in the first half. I think we conceded very early on and Scott Hogan, I think, lobbed um, Raphael in maybe like the fifth, sixth minute, something like that. And Reading was just terrible for the first first half. Second half was completely different and Reading dominated Birmingham completely. Picked up three goals in the second half. Pele scored really late on to, to kind of wrap it up after a free ball from Gareth McCleary, if anybody remembers him. Uh, hey, no start on Gareth McCleary. <laughs> I like Gareth McCleary. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not, not bashing him. Uh, it was a great, great pass. And um, yeah, I, I mean, we, me and me and you, Paul, were at the Medeci Stadium a couple of days after at the fans fans forum or fans, of, I don't know what to call it, but and it was really odd uh, because obviously we were all expecting to be playing Stoke Home three days after that, and in fact there was what another three months until the next time we even watched a Reading game. So uh, yeah, nobody expected it to be quite such a long time in between those those games and. Um, you know, it's kind of obviously been going on for nine months now, but football is at least back and watching it and been to some games and I'm sure we'll come on to that later in the later in the show. Can I just say, Paul, very quickly, what Alex yeah. just said there about Birmingham, how poor we were in the first half. It's strange, isn't it? Because, you know, when you start the next season, the following season, and you start well, the bar's raised. Now, we can't say, and it's so foreign to think how bad Reading have been playing sort of the first part of this year and the previous seasons and stuff like that. Even this season, and seasons and years are difficult to talk about, but even this season when we've been beaten, we haven't really been awful. Do you know what I mean? And you're going to get beaten and you're going to have evenings and afternoons when you're not quite at the races. I've done it. We've all been there. We've all been at fault for goals and everything else. But there's a way and a manner of getting beat. And the way that we used to get beat and just basically throw the towel in, even this season when we have been beaten, and we've had a few defeats, don't get me wrong, we haven't been bad. We haven't thrown the towel in. And, and that's what I really like about this current group of players, the squad, the manager and the backroom staff. Yeah, every game feels competitive this season under Paunovic and even even under Bowen, as you were saying, um, there was a number of games last season where we just got, you know, we, we didn't turn up basically and yeah, we won against Birmingham but I mean, after Birmingham, when we came back, um, came back in June and July, there was, there was, there was games where we just didn't turn up at all and Reading were just bad. Like it wasn't a case that the opposition were, were particularly good. Um, we just got dominated by teams who are, who are better than us and we didn't really compete necessarily whereas now I mean yeah we're still going to lose games and you know we've seen it over the last kind of maybe few weeks against Norwich and Brentford and yeah we are going to lose games to teams who are doing well and are decent decent sides but if we're able to at least put in a performance that fans are going to look at and say well you know they've they've competed they've tried it's not a case of just throwing the towel in and looking uncompetitive it, that's what fans want to see. You, you, nobody expects to go out and, and watch their team win every week if you're supporting Reading or you know any other team into second tier. Really, it's uh, it's not realistic. But um, as long as your team is kind of, I guess, putting in the effort and the 
levels of commitment that fans want to see, then that's that's kind of half of the half of the battle for the squad, I think, in terms of getting getting all the fans on side. So it's it's great to see that we're I guess now in that mode as we haven't really seen that for the last I don't know, probably since Stan was managing. Yeah, I totally agree on that. It's one of the most enjoyable things, isn't the fact that you know that a team's gonna have to beat us rather than we're gonna give it to them on a plate. And that is what you want from your team when you're a fan is just saying, okay, they're going to give 100%. You know, that's what I love. And the fact that there's two Reading players in there, Reading fans in there now, I mean, that's just icing on the cake for me. It really is. What do you think it is that drives that, AD, in terms of, uh, I guess, teams, teams having that kind of competitive spirit? Pride. Alex, I think, you know, you've got to have a bit of pride about you. And, you know, we were a walkover at times last season. Well, you know, this year, if you like, beginning of the year and last season and, and, and years gone by, we've been a pushover. We have been the Southern softies, you know. And then and, I guess where's where's the difference? Because we've only signed one player. So the, the squad isn't necessarily different. But so what's yeah. the, I guess, what's the change, do you reckon? The, the change is fresh ideas, a new voice, um, you know, like all Reading fans, when Bowen took over, obviously there was a big hoo-ha about the Jose Gomez situation. But when it all settled down, we all wanted fans. We wanted Bowen to do well. But I've always said it, and I and and please don't take this literally as in. Well, hang on a minute. He's talking about players leaving. It's a better dressing room now. I don't mean it as blunt as that and as black and white as that. But you have to have a sort out at some point. And Reading Football Club needed to offload. They needed to offload players. And I don't mean start again because they kept the nucleus. You know, the, the, the squad is there and they've got good players. And OK, Josh Lauren, they signed in the summer. It was actually Bowen signing. It's turned out to be a great signing. Ajaria signed permanently. That was a good, good you know, uh, a, a good move by Reading, I think, and really pleased the Reading fans. The owners, you know, putting their cash where the, where the mouth is, if you like, putting the money where their mouth is. So, you know, just you, you need to surround yourself in the dressing room with good people. And like I say, I'm not by any means saying that the people left weren't good people. But at some point, you do need a clear out. You need to sort out and go, right, OK, that was then and this is now. And it is now. You look at Holmes, you look at McIntyre, Estevez even, you know, I'm not his biggest fan at this moment in time, but he's coming on, he's learning the game, he's in a different country, he's never played in his country, he's never played in the championship, and he's 18. You know, Rinomota still learning his trade. Josh Lauren, he's not learning his trade because he's mid-20s, but, you know, these players are improving and they're getting better and better. Put them with the Raphaels and the Moore and the Jaws and the Swifts and the people that have been around Mate for a while, then all of a sudden, that's a really good dressing room for me. So, again, I'm not saying that the people that left were bad people, but I think, and judging by the look of it, it was the right time, I think, for those players to leave the football club and to hit, you know, the next chapter of their careers as well, wherever that may be. Yeah, we seem to have found the right jigsaw at the moment, basically. I think that's essentially what we've got. It all works really well together. We kind of like come back after the break from the lockdown period, the first time we come back. One or against Stoke, and then Jao gets injured again. Um, this is the problem with Lucas Jao. He's a fantastic footballer. And this is why, AD, when we recorded the kind of the end of season review with you uh, months ago, it must have been, saying that Lucas Jao wouldn't get 20 goals a season. This is the reason why we say that because he picks them up, doesn't he? 
It's brilliant, social media. I love it because <laughs> it is what it is. And as soon as you say something like I did, he's not going to get you 20 goals. No, I, I did the same. I agree. So I'm out there with you. <laughs> but the thing is, keep him fit, Jal. That's what you've got to do. You've got to keep him fit. You've got to wrap him up in cotton wool because he still hasn't got those 20 goals yet. You know, so I don't want to see him come back in the side and then do a downswing again and he's out for another four, five, six weeks. And then all of a sudden, there's a little bit of pressure on him or maybe the football club would then go and sign somebody and then all of a sudden, you're not the number one striker. Things can happen overnight in football. We have to get him fit. And when he's fit, he's as good as anybody. I say that Raphael is the best goalkeeper in the championship. That's my opinion. Forget all this nonsense on Twitter. Raphael will not be dropped all season. Don't even think about it. Don't even think that Southwood or Walker will be in goal if Raphael is fit, even if he does make a couple of mistakes. Last night proved he is the best. He is top. Zhao is top class when he's fit. It doesn't just give us goals, Paul, Alex. He gives the team the identity. When he's in the team, everybody knows their job and we've got a style of play. We know what's going to happen. When he's not in the team, and unfortunately, Mate has mirrored that when he's not been in the team. Unfortunately, he's been out as well. And Sam Bulldog, you know, great guy, great pro, makes runs, plays on the shoulder of the defenders, looking to get in behind, but he doesn't give you the same as what Luku Zhao does. Even set plays, for and against. Zhao's the big guy, very dominant in the air, powerful. So, you know, let's be brutally honest. We're not a one-trick pony at all. But if Zhao was to play... 18 of the next 23 stroke 24 games, I'd be absolutely, I'd take that right now. Take that right now. I think I'd take 16 actually. No, I think, and if he plays in those games, I'm certain we get in the playoffs. I'm that confident he makes such a difference that we would get there. I mean, obviously, there can be key injuries and all that, but I'm just going to say that I think we would because he will get, if he's going to play 16 games, I'm confident that he would get at least eight goals. He's that kind of striker and in that kind of form. And he would also link up with a few as well. But Alex, we then move on to another one of the goal machine who's just been mentioned by AD there, Yaku Meite. We play Luton Town away and then all of a sudden he decides to have an absolute goal fest. Four goals that just come out of nowhere. A 5-0 win. Nobody saw that coming, did they? No, uh, especially because we hadn't won since since coming back from the from the first, first kind of break in football. Um, and, and I think at that point, Luton had just brought Nathan Jones back, if I'm mistaken, and, and they were doing okay the first couple of games after lockdown. And Mate got got himself a hat trick, and all of his goals were really, really well taken in that um, in that game as well. And he got three just before half time, uh, and I, I think that might be Mate's only hat trick for us. I'm yeah, I think so. Yeah, certain. first professional one, I think it was then. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was fantastic that day. Everything he touched went in. Um, I mean, even even Pushka scored, Paul. So um, you know, it, it must have been a good result that day. Um, and yeah, it was just a it was a really top performance from Reading to, to defeat a team which were yeah, Luton were in the bottom kind of bottom six, but I think they were still in the relegation zone at that point actually. But they were in that kind of relegation battle, and we basically tore them to shreds that day. And to be honest, Luton always seemed to struggle against Reading every time, as we saw on Boxing Day. They never, we never seemed to to, uh, to to have a competitive match with Luton. We we seemed to just kind of tuck them away nicely every single time we play them. So um, perhaps perhaps we shouldn't have been so surprised that Mate managed to managed to bag four goals that day. Um, of course, the disappointing thing is that we didn't then kind of 
I guess, carry that on into our last five. Um, because at that point, there was a very, very remote chance that we could still kind of clinch that sixth spot, I think. But uh, yeah, the, the last five games were a lot less, I guess, um, a lot less enthralling and a lot less successful. Yeah, totally. We Can I just pick game. up very quickly? Paul, oh, sorry, just very quickly on Yaku Mate. If I said to you, Ricky Newman, if I said to you, Barry Hunter, John Mackey, John Salako, I'm trying to think of players that are never Andy really Hughes. on the top of it. Andy Hughes. Say again, Alex. Andy, Andy Hughes, another one. Andy Hughes. Uh, Noel Hunt, although I wasn't in the dressing room with Noel Hunt. My point is, in the dressing room, these players, as a squad member, are vital. Those lads I mentioned when I was playing, like I say, they wouldn't roll off the tongue. They wouldn't be what people class as red in legends. But in the dressing room, away from the limelight, they are unbelievable to have a day in, day out, the fun, the banter, the stick, whatever it is. And Mate is, is, is that person, I think, at Reading Football Club at the moment. He's always involved, you know, on any video that goes out on Instagram or social media, whatever it is. It's always Mate, uh, you know, behind it, pulling the strings, having the crack, having the laugh, you know, the brute. He comes on, everyone loves him and all that. So Alex is absolutely right, you know, talking about him as a player. But don't be fooled what goes on behind the scenes in the training ground, in the dressing room, day in, day out. The Ricky Newmans, the John Mackeys, the Barry Hunters of this world. Like I say, James, they're not James named. Harper. Harps, you know, there's, there's hundreds of them. But Harps got the credit on the pitch as well. You know, the 1016 brilliant midfielder with City. I was thinking more players that don't get the credit on the pitch, but... You know, as players in the dressing room, day in, day out, we don't just talk about a match day once a week. You've got to train with these boys day in, day out. So, Mate, I think, is, you know, nucleus for that. When it when it comes to bonding, having the crack, having the banter on social media, I think, uh, you know, he, he pretty much pulls the strings. And that's, that's important. I just wanted to make that point. No, I think you're totally right. Because I remember when we did the season review with you, Eddie, none of us picked Yaku Mate as the player of the season, despite the fact that he scored 17 goals. He's almost taken for granted what he's doing. And he's just progressing as a player. I think during the period when he's been fit this season, he's just looked like he's stepped up again. Just unfortunate he got that injury uh, against Sheffield Wednesday. Is it all Birmingham? I think one of the, uh, one of the things with Mate, especially this season, is I think we've seen the fact that he's now get he's now got himself into a position which he's claimed as his own. Uh, which has, it's not necessarily helped him that much, I think, as a player, but uh, in terms of, I guess, uh, fan appreciation for him, all of a sudden now when he's not in the team, you can tell that Mate's not in the team because we play differently. Yeah. And we play, we don't play the same way without Mate in the team all of a sudden. Um, the the relationship he's struck up with Zhao up front is, is ridiculous. It's like, you know, it's like they were made to play up front together, to, like together. Um, and it, that, it, you know, having both of them back in the team is going to be huge. Um, like we always, we obviously touched on, on how critical it is to keep Jal fit. But I think it's it's almost maybe not as important, but it's very close to to having um, having being at the same level as, as to having Mate fit as well, and making sure that he's making sure that he's on the field because we play such a different style of football now, especially this season when he's actually fit and available compared to if he's, you know, sat in the stands. Yeah, I agree on that one. Unfortunately, the game we're talking about now is a Swansea match at home when he actually managed to get sent off. So that's a bit of a downer there for Yaku. <laughs> but these things happen, don't they? Um, 
that 4-1 was a really strange game, if I remember it correctly. We had multiple chances to go ahead in the game. Maybe one, it was 1-0. Loads of one-on-one. Swansea just went kamikaze because they were desperate to get into the playoffs and it worked out for them. Uh, kind of, I don't know what to think of that end of that season. I thought it was quite depressing, Amy. I've got to be quite frank. On that evening with the 4-1, I was not feeling upbeat at all. Yeah, the Swansea game. I mean, the season was coming to an end and like you say, Swansea threw the kitchen sink and you know what? As a player, I think I, I think you just want to get off the pitch. You know, the season's dead and buried. You're going nowhere. What did we finish? 14th, was it? Did we finish 14th yes. last season? Yeah. You know, you just want to get off. You've been hammered at home against Swansea. Get off, dust yourself down, have a bit of a break, go away with a family, get a bit of sun on your back and then come back and give it a go. And the less said about it, the better. And I'm not sort of just dusting it under the carpet at all because it was a hefty defeat and it was a little bit embarrassing. But, you know, I played in games towards the end of the season. you got nothing to play for. I'm not saying the lads looked after themselves at all, but the best team won. A little bit embarrassing. Off you go. Get ready for next season. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And during that summer period, we saw some real massive movement within the club. We saw Vileko Panovic come into the team as manager on the 29th of August, but bizarrely, Mark Bowen was still there. This was a really strange situation, Amy. I'm Have you ever seen anything like that when the first team manager hasn't actually been sacked and a new one's brought in? Well, we had it with Gomez, didn't we? You know, a, a bizarre yeah. situation, director of football, and, you know, people were saying, did he appoint himself? And I'm glad we got to the bottom of that one because there was no animosity between Gomez and Bowen. And uh, everyone lived happily ever after. So, you know, it, it, it's not really the way it should be done. You know, there is a way of doing things in football, but football is unlike any other business. It really is. And, uh, you know, it's a, a law onto itself. And sometimes, you know, managers find out that they've been sacked via a text message or social media or, or a journalist or whatever it is. So, you know, listen, Mark Mark did his job for Reading. Let's not, you know, slaughter Mark Bowen. He came in, he turned it around. There was a little bit of positivity at one point. And, you know, we weren't fighting relegation, which was was nice. You know, we, we, we definitely wasn't getting overly competitive in the top six either. But we weren't fighting relegation. I don't think any one of us really thought that we were going to get relegated. The new guy comes in and it's another Wikipedia job, isn't it? You know, you've got to search him on Google. We don't know anything about him. He's 43 years of age. His CV predominantly really was working with the youngsters with Serbia, obviously won the uh, the uh, World Cup finals, the youth World Cup finals with Serbia. So he obviously brings youngsters through and, uh, you know, that was it. He's never managed in his country before, 43 years of age. It was shambolic, the pre-season, let's be brutally honest. It was utterly shambles because, you know, had things had changed with the government guidelines, the lads, they could have even been stuck in Portugal for a couple of weeks. The season would have started with a, a reserve team or an under-23 fixture. But ultimately, it worked out for the best. So it just proves, really, sometimes the best-made plans, all the planning under the sun, and get everything 100% spot on. You can still lose the next five games. So, you know, it was a shambles of a pre-season, and we won seven on the bounce. Masterstroke. We all knew that, really, didn't we, deep down? I mean, yeah, that's a massive lie. <laughs> Completely and utterly. You, I put out on social media about uh, the low point. I put a list out, but one of the media you replied to saying that was the contract situation during the summer and maybe the club didn't deal with it in the correct manner. Do you want to explain that a bit more? Um, 
it wasn't so much the club it was a bit of everybody the club the players the agent the environment it was just messy and these players were good players for reading and i'm not suggesting for one minute that they should have stayed at reading because i think chris gunter i think gareth mccleary the best thing for them was to leave reading they did their time and they were outstanding at reading and you throw in Jordan Abita. And of course, you know, don't forget the other boys behind the scenes as well. There's been Milers, there's been Lafondres, there's been, you know, McNulty's, um, McNulty rather than Alfie. But a lot of these players, I think when the season come to an end, I'm not sure that the football club wanted them, but they tried to get them on the cheap. And I understand that. I don't, you know, don't get me wrong, I understand that. And, a, and a, as a footballer, you can say, well, so-and-so you or put two fingers up at them and walk away that's that's your right but it just got messy and, and it looked like that the offers were derogatory and you know agents were getting involved and then it, it, it just wasn't a nice feeling i don't think the way that these people should have left the football club i'm not saying as heroes probably legends you know when you talk about a beater and and gunter and mccleary those sort of players they've been there a very long time and consistently proved themselves and, and performed at a high level but i didn't like it it got messy it was stupid it was a little bit derogatory at the end of the day if you don't want me if you're not going to offer me a decent contract i'm on my bike full stop i'll go somewhere else yeah no i think that's well, I think, uh, I think, I think that. a lot of it i think a lot of it came down to poor planning as well right and you, you mentioned it, Aidy, about the fact that the preseason was pretty shambolic. And it, it felt, especially during kind of August, that there was no long-term plan, no vision, um, which I guess is probably a lot of... We saw a lot of replies today, Paul, on, on Twitter around the low moment being the kind of handling of Bowen leaving. and But it wasn't just the handling of Bowen leaving. It was the, it was the whole summer was just... It was just very badly managed from top to bottom. It just felt like there was no real like vision as to what the idea, like what was the plan with the club? Were we going to keep players? What do we want to do with players like McNulty who are still in contract? And it's clear yeah. the club don't really want them. Um, what are you going to do with players who are out on a, like out of contract in the summer, like Abita or Osho? Like, and we offer them deals, and it comes out that the deals are just, you know pointless and and deals that they're never going to sign and you you you, especially during summer you kind of had to think that there was a a real kind of issue with the club in terms of uh it's it 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 felt a bit like a money issue once again at the club um and and the fact that they were kind of i guess not really willing to, to put any money behind players that they actually wanted but it at the same time it also felt like it didn't really know what the club wanted or, or what the upper management within the club actually wanted to do with both players and staff, um, which just caused for, yeah, it just caused for a lot of, I guess, uh, concern amongst Reading fans during the during the. Process. Can I just say, um, I understand the politics and we should understand the politics of football because trust me, there's a lot of politics in football, particularly <laughs> modern day football, you know. So, you know, if a player wants to go to a tribunal or free transfer, this, that, or the other, you know, if the club offers them something, then, well, they can, the club can then say, well, hang on a minute, we have offered him a contract. So there's a lot of that that goes on, you know. So maybe they were just offering contracts you know, regardless of the money that the lads were never going to accept. And I get that. There's a lot of politics behind the scenes. But ultimately, really, at the end of the day, I don't think the club 
were that bothered whether these players were signing or not signing. Maybe they wanted their cake and eat it, you know, and wanted the cherry on top as well. Well, do you know what? You could sit in the dressing room for 46 games. I might play you six, seven, eight, nine times. You're only on a few grand a week, which isn't going to break the bank. So we're happy. Well, let me tell you, the player wouldn't be happy with that. So it, I'm glad it's all sorted out. And I'm glad the majority of the boys, if not all the boys now, have got themselves a club. So good luck to them. Yeah, totally. It's great to see them playing again, especially someone like John Nabita being out for so long with a massive injury. He needs to be playing, doesn't he? And uh, unfortunately, he signed for a team that wears yellow just down the road. But apart from that, it's all good. It's all good. So we all go into the start of the season wondering how we're going to do against Derby County in the first league match. We've not really know much about Panovich. We're kind of thinking, is this going to work out well, Alex? How's it going to pan out? We've put on an absolutely brilliant display. Let's forget how poor Derby were. We still dealt with them completely, didn't we? Uh, yeah, it was honestly, it was one of our best performances in, in probably years. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't even think that's an understatement. Particularly, we we completely dominated Derby from start to finish. We didn't allow them. I think we allowed them something stupid like one shot um, from distance, and that was it. Or one shot on target from distance, and that was it. Everything mm. else was like miles outside the box and and wide and over. And um, but the defence was just completely imperious uh, that day. It just looked so organised compared to the back end of last season and. Obviously, we just discussed the Swansea game where, you know, it kind of just was got a bit embarrassing. Uh, and this Derby game was just completely, you know, a complete mirror image of that. And um, going forwards, we looked ridiculously quick on the counter-attack as well. And I guess that was a sign of things to come for the first kind of, you know, five to ten games of the season. That counter-attacking football that we've been seeing, um, it first first kind of reared its head, I guess, against Derby. And... And uh, the the start of the Lucas Shaw run of run of form as well came from that derby game, and uh, it, that was probably one of the most unexpected starts to the season. I would say um, I definitely wouldn't have expected us to go to a team such as Derby, um, who did finish above us last season as well, obviously, uh, and, and just basically tear them apart and, and not even give them a give them a shot really. We then proceeded to make a ridiculous start. Our best start to a season since 1985, which I can remember. Uh, going to see that, my first ever season. That was great. I could do a whole podcast about that season, to be honest. But it's a kind of, I can't believe how good we were. And I was thinking, are we going to be able to sustain this? And how are you feeling about it? Well, I think the Derby game gives you a lift. You go to Pride Park, albeit behind closed doors. There'd normally be first game of the season, 32,000 there probably or something at Pride Park. So don't forget how good Raphael was that day, by the way. It was nil-nil and he made two, three really, really top-class saves. And that's what you've got to do. You know, if you're a goalkeeper, you're in the side to make saves. That's your job. That's what you get paid for. So it gave everybody a lift. It was a clean sheet. And yeah, I mean, confidence breeds confidence, doesn't it? You know, and at the end of the day, a lot of people in that little five, six, seven game run, people saying, well, we've only played Derby and they're a poor side. And who do we play? Barnsley, was it as well? And, yeah. you know, yeah. one, one or two, t Wickham, did we play? We played Wickham early on. And, uh, uh, and Cardiff. Black yeah, but, you know, but Blackburn and Cardiff are, are mid-table sides. And I think Blackburn at the time were the uh, league's top goal scorers. So, yeah. you know, that yeah. they were banging goals. They, they scored against... Reading twice, but we, we just happened to get four, I think it was, at Ewood Park. So it was just, you know, a snowball effect. And when you're in a dressing room and you're winning games and you're keeping clean sheets, it's an unbelievable feeling. You just can't 
put your finger what it is. You don't know why it's so different because the majority of the team was exactly the same as when yeah. Bowen was selecting the team. It's just something that happens. It just clicks. And when it does, it is like chemistry. Like, you know, if anyone had the formula, anyone knew what it was, we'd be billionaires, let alone millionaires. But it was just nice to see. And, and, and for me, because of what was going on in the world with COVID, and it was just nice that Reading fans could enjoy it. I know they couldn't actually go and they couldn't be there at the Medeski Stadium or the away games. But you know what? We were listening to the radio. We were watching the telly. I follow whatever it be at Sky. You know, I think we've been on Sky more times this season than we've ever done in the last 10 years. It's been incredible. So Reading fans were enjoying their football. And, you know, how often have we said that in the last six, seven years? Not that often. No, it almost became kind of like instead of lead sky, it became Reading FC sky. It's come absolutely crazy, hasn't it, Alex? It's just so enjoyable seeing us get all these wins and looking like, which we've mentioned repeatedly, just looking like a team. It sounds like a basic thing, but we look like we work for each other. We have a plan. And one of the great things is that Panovic can't find a system that's as good when Giles are the team, but he's managing to pick up points against teams that we should be. And you just think that's a key thing. For a team that's going to get into the playoffs. Yeah, you've got to keep picking up the points when you don't have your first 11, I guess. And I mean, just looking at the results, we've played against uh, what's this, if you look at the bottom six of the table at the minute, we've played six games against them and we've won five. Um, the, only, the only team we didn't beat was Sheffield Wednesday. And even that game, I think we all would probably agree that that game should have been a Reading win. So, um, you know, we're, we're picking up points against teams that we feel like we should be beating. Uh, even now, we still beat we, we beat Luton, we beat QPR, we beat Forest. All these teams are back at the bottom of the league, and we we still be, we're still beating them despite the fact that we're not necessarily sitting with our strongest eleven out on the field. Um, so yeah, Panovic is finding a way to win, and, and I guess yeah, we might not be picking up results against teams like the Brentford and the, and the Norwiches at, at, at the moment, um, but we're, we're remaining competitive, and I think there's a, a definite feeling at least amongst the fans, that once you've got kind of your your starting 11 back and your your best 11 on the field, that we we can be a match for any of these teams in this division. Um, and that none of the teams who are above us in the table at the minute or, or around us even are like head and shoulders above us and even with our best 11 that we wouldn't be able to put a performance in against them and, and potentially beat them. Yes, it's wonderful viewing at the moment. I'll kind of like get to the end of this one and just wrap it up with a high. Let's get and finish this on a high. Best moment of 2020 for you, AD. Oh, I don't know, because I like to do a random one. You know, I like to do... Uh, I'm up to that. It's fine. <laughs> but, but I think collectively, you know, 2020 has been a bad year for most people. You know, I don't want to go into to businesses and COVID and the hospitality industry and whatever it may be. You know, obviously sporting events have been called off left, right and centre and the Olympic Games and this, that and the other. But you know what? Sometimes when someone when I started on the radio, someone said to me, the majority of people only remember the beginning and they only remember the end. They don't often remember what goes in between. And it's a good advice because I'm just going to remember the end of 2020. And I'm happy. We're going into 2021, six in the league table. And for the majority of the last five, six games or so, we've had a makeshift team out. 
And I think we've got a team, a squad, collectively with the manager and the backroom staff that we can be proud of at the moment. I think they dig in. I think they're tough to beat. We're not going to win every game. We got beat against a good Norwich side. We got beat against a Brentford side. That are decent, you know. There's some decent sides there. Don't get me wrong. Bournemouth are a good side. But I think right now, going into 2021, six in the league table, considering we've had the worst injury list in the championship, and I think we've got something to look forward to. I think everyone's a little bit optimistic. I think we're all half full at the moment. We've all raised our bar, and we keep raising it. And when we get the first teamers back. I don't think there's going to be any stopping us. I just hope that we can maintain what we're doing, winning games at home, picking points up away from home. Huddersfield's going to be tough. It always is. But I think right now, I think we've got a lot to look forward to. And we've got a team, a football club, that we, we can say we're actually proud of at this moment in time. That's it. That is my proudest moment as well. I'm actually proud to be a Redden fan now. And I haven't had that for a long time. That is my best moment. I actually look forward to watching us play. And we really need that at the moment, as we all know what's going on with COVID. It's just be able to watch them and think, yeah, OK, they're going to give everything. They might not win every game, but I'm going to enjoy it. And I know if we lose this match, we're going to come back in the next one. And that is a really lovely feeling. And we need some kind of release at the moment. So what would you say, Alex, is your most enjoyable moment or however you want to frame it up? So I think my best moment of 2020, Paul, is probably going to be a relatively popular one. Um, going back to stadiums for the first time after what would it have been nine months or so, uh, it's got to be up there uh, for for best moment of 2020. Probably for most football fans, I would imagine, um, not not just Reading fans. Uh, the Forest game was was really good to be at, and it was lovely to go back and see us win and, and be able to experience, I guess, this team who are performing so well on the field and being able to watch them kind of in person. And uh, I remember talking to you about it after the game and, and being able to notice that certain players do things you just don't really see necessarily when you're watching it on the, on the TV and it, the movement and the, I guess the communication from the team is one which you pick up and you don't necessarily, you, you might not notice it when you're watching it just live on iFollow or, or on Sky and, that was really good to be at and to be able to get back to a few games while while that was still still an option, I guess. And, and I guess hopefully that will be a contender for next year as well, being able to be back at games for 2021 and being able to watch live games once again. So um, that's probably my, my number one moment. I guess if I was to pick one from on the field, uh, I'd probably go back to New Year's Day, in all honesty, back back from the start of the podcast and go with, go with either Fulham away or, or Birmingham away. And both those were just excellent excellent days out and really good results um, and, and just really fun away games to, to be at. So I would go with, go with one of those, those three, I think, if I had to pick, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Forrest, Forrest at home though earlier, earlier in December. Okay, then thanks a lot then, AD and uh, Alex. Uh, cheers for joining us on the 2020 review. Hopefully I've got to say just very quickly, as we go into the new year, you know, yourself, you obviously are out on social media and you do your podcast. Keep doing them, mate. Keep doing them because they're great. And, you know, Reading fans love it. They can get the interaction going. We've all got an opinion and there's no right or wrong. You know, let, let's keep it clean. Let's keep it nice and keep it civil and keep it amicable. We don't have to destroy each other on social media. We're all in it for the same thing, in all fairness. So, you know, Alex, 
Paul, yourself, all Reading fans, I love it when I get the interaction. I try and answer as many as I can. Let's keep doing it. And, uh, you know, let's, let's, like I say, be proud of our football club and uh, keep doing what you're doing, mate. Oh, cheers, Andy. Really appreciate that. And I agree. Let's try and keep it civil. You know, <laughs> we're doing really well. So let's keep it positive. So thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>